Good morning, everybody. I'd like to welcome you all to the Daily Energy Markets uh, podcast. It's great to have you all back. Happy New Year. We haven't seen uh, some of these faces uh, since since we restarted our podcast uh, this week. Um, and it has been quite an eventful couple of weeks to start the new year. So let's get cracking uh, and hear from Jamie Ingram, Senior Editor at Mies, Paul Horsnell, Head of Commodities Research at Standard Chartered Bank, and Mukesh Sadev, SVP, Head of Downstream and Oil Trading at Ricestide Energy. Thanks so much for joining us, uh, gentlemen, there. Uh, I'd like to put up that um, survey result uh, that we got from uh, a question earlier this week, which is, of course, about uh, the shipping lanes around the Red Sea to get better or worse with US, US UK attacks on the Houthis. Um, we have seen uh, you know, some, some more activity uh, since Monday uh, as well, uh, and that seems to be escalating for the time being. 89% uh, agree with that, that that's going to continue. Um, Mukesh, let me go to you first then on that uh, and, and get your, your take on how big of an escalation is the market reading this at and uh, you know how is it going to impact prices, shipping, et cetera, and thinking around oil trade. Now, thank you, Aval. Good to be back. And this is indeed on top of everybody's mind. I think uh, I would I would dissect the question into two, where whether there will be disruption. I think everybody agrees that yes, uh, whether this will impact the oil market prices in a big way, uh, probably not, because I think we have gone through a lot of crises now. And what the world has learned is that most often we have been able to navigate around and find alternate ways. So it's hard for me to speculate on the geopolitical uh, turnout, but I think uh, based on the numbers we see, based on the flows that goes through the Red Sea, right? Certainly there are alternate route options and the alternate ways to supply. And we are also in a, in a point in the market where we are not in a stage where the oil demand uh, on every aspect is back, right? We are in a world where still there are bearish sentiment on the oil demand side. And so I will say that the disruption for sure, system will find alternate ways and means. There is a lot of leakage in the system also that happens. And this will probably not be such a huge price mover as we have seen. So that's what I would say at the start. Okay, thanks, Mukesh. And I guess we just have to look at what's happening to prices to see how much uh, they're moving. They have moved as a result of disruption, but not not to the extent where we would interpret it as a disruption to oil flows. Jamie, let me go to you on that point of, well, it's also in a period where demand has been revised downwards for the year from last year. Uh, we have enough supply still. Uh, the market's telling us that. Um, uh, and 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 the, the amount demand outlook isn't looking too strong, so perhaps not so much panic about you know any any major disruptions. What what's your outlook for that for the year ahead? Uh, and and do you, what will it take for for activities like this in the Red Sea to actually disrupt the market? Hi, Diana, and happy New Year to you. Yeah, as you said earlier, you know the Red Sea is every all that anybody can be talking about really at the moment. Um, yeah, generally I agree uh, with Mukesh on uh, his comments earlier. You know, in terms, is there going to be disruption? Absolutely, yes. Is it going to be significant? Well, we're seeing the market kind of trading quite range bound at the moment. You know, in that mid seventies to maybe creeping up up above eighty on a on a good day, um, but no more than that. I mean. There is clearly significant potential to reroute um, a lot of these trade flows around Africa rather than going through the Red Sea. And I think that it's also 
very important to note that um, clearly Saudi Arabia, the Middle East's largest oil producer, has significant oil export capacity on its own Red Sea coast. Um, so generally, when it supplies Europe, most of the volumes um, go up from Yanbu um, through Egypt, Sumed uh, pipeline, and then on into Europe that way. So it doesn't act, most of those volumes don't actually um, go through the Bab al-Mandeb, go through the Southern Red Sea, where we're seeing this, um, where we're seeing this Houthi attacks on shipping. So that's for crude oil. And likewise for refined products, Saudi Arabia also has a lot of refineries on uh, it's Red Sea at Rabi, at Yambu, which it can then send northwards up into Europe, across into the Americas if needs be. Um, also, clearly, uh, the primary source of supply growth in 2024 is seen as coming from the US. Um, so what we're going to see here is perhaps even more of that new US volume is being pulled into the European market to replace volumes that while they can still come over from Asia, perhaps the price um, rationale for that making that journey is no longer as strong as it is, given the impact on shipping prices, on insurance prices, et cetera, for bringing those volumes over from Asia. So we might see even more of a surge in that uh, cross-Atlantic US-Europe uh, trade flow over 2024. Okay, great. Thanks, Jamie. And I did want to get to the US production and talk about that in a bit more detail, but we'll, we'll go back to that. Paul, uh, good morning again. I mean, on the cost point of view, you know, we haven't seen a disruption to flows, but a slowdown, rerouting, et cetera, that clearly comes at a cost, right, to shippers and to those who own the ships, those who are even shipping the oil. Given that we're in this environment still of, you know, relatively higher interest rates uh, here to stay, um, do you think that's going to impact at all? Is that a worry? Uh, central bank policy, et cetera. Uh, and and how how will that feed into, if you like, decisions uh, on 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 in terms of operators of 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 those who are moving oil around? Yeah, I mean, I, I think more generally, uh, most estimates, and certainly the ones made by my colleagues, uh, suggest that um, the overall increase in shipping costs is enough to add you now maybe a quarter of a percent onto inflation, um, certainly through the OECD. So it's an impact, but it's not. Um, so big an impact that it carries everything else um, uh, before it, but certainly for central bankers, that is a concern. Anything that um, uh, at the current time uh, makes inflation uh, stickier is, is something that they um, more or less take on board. I, I think from an oil point of view, I think, I think there's two points. On, on the cost of the diversions itself, obviously great news if you are uh, selling bunker fuel in uh, out, out of uh, Cape Town. I mean, this is um, uh, you know, a lot more um, bunker fuel is going to be used in, in terms of, um, of an extra uh, uh, 10 days, um, to, uh, 12 days of, of journey time. It does mean that oil at sea is going to be increased because the supply lines themselves have, have grown longer. So there's uh, more oil there needing risk management, more for the supply uh, people to keep in their chain at any one time. So there are, you know, the effects are not totally um uh, neutral. It, it will affect the um, crude oil differentials, that this is a, a boost for short-haul crudes like Brent against uh, longer-haul crudes like Dubai. So there are some effects. But I think the bigger thing is is the overall market reaction to um, rising geopolitical risk. And I, I think it's a bit like 
one of those kind of rather gruesome biology experiments that um, you know they they tell us about at school when 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 they, when they want to sort of uh, s uh, slightly freak the children out. The the one about the uh, amphibians being placed in water and subjected mm -hmm. to gradually rising temperature. The point being that the temperature doesn't matter to the okay, it's calling a frog uh, to to the frog until the point where it does matter when it does become too hot. And I think the market's behaving a bit like that. So. Um, the uh, explosion of violence in Gaza. Oh no, it doesn't matter. There's no spy interruption. Um, spreading of that into Vladivostok. Oh, it doesn't matter. You know, it's just an, an extra bit of risk. The Red Sea interruptions doesn't matter. Uh, Iranian uh, missile attacks on Pakistan and on, on Iraq in uh, within 24 hours. Oh, it doesn't matter. It hasn't affected. You know, so you see this sort of um, you know just continual. Absorption. They're saying, "Oh no, the world's different now. We don't." And I, and I do wonder if we're getting to this kind of point where it doesn't matter again, rather like the frog, until the point where it does matter. Uh, and that that implies to me that should we say that some of the um, uh, optionality in current oil prices is is a little bit wrong. It's very low um, uh, volatility. We're going through the same price every single day. Um, exactly 77.97 on Brent. We've been there every day at some point um, uh, th um, th this year and 13 trading days in a row. So it just feels that something doesn't quite add up yet. And mm, um, mm. You know, I just feel that we're again in this stage where it doesn't matter, but at some point it might. Okay, thanks, Paul. So Mukesh, back to you on that. I mean, is the market being complacent? And is it, is it because, you know, it's short, essentially, it's got a short view if you like, on the outlook for the 2024. We had um, we have an interview actually uh, coming up. Uh, and we're going to play that today with Dr. Amrita Sen that we did at our Global Energy Outlook Forum uh, last week. And she said the geopolitical risk premium that Paul Horsnell uh, just mentioned, um, it will only be felt and, and factored in once the market's ready to go long, i.e., you know, we think oil prices are going up. So wh where is the point of view of the market as we start the year from a price range point of view, would you say, considering increased U.S. production, uh, expectations for OPEC policy, where where would you put the expectation? No, I think that's a, that's a quite a number of factors question. So let me kind of break it down. But first, I, I also want to agree with Jamie that U.S. barrels is a big part. And there are players who would be ready to pay a security premium uh, I lived in Houston for many years uh, from a trading perspective and understand that there is a security premium, certainly U.S. barrels attract. So uh, the only thing for the U.S. barrels is that in 23, they grow about a million barrels. So far, the forecast for 24 is about half a million barrels growth, right? But we know that U.S. shale can surprise. So I think even if a lot of analysis fundamentals tells us that U.S. production may not grow, I think the sentiment and the and the actors believe that U.S. can always play a surprise. So that plays into the market sentiment, number one. Number two, I guess on the demand side, uh, it's clear that last year, 23, because of 22 base kind of numbers, was a 2.8 million barrels per day of demand growth. Uh, 24, that number has come down uh, almost half, 1.1, 1.5 million barrels per day. And a big part of that growth is obviously Asia. And a big part of that growth we have is about 700 KBD of jet growth. Now, jet, everybody has been hoping that jet will come out of the jet lag 
And I think that's not happening so easily because of the bottlenecks in the in the aviation system, possibly. So jet demand, also people are, are risking that it may not come back uh, given the geopolitics, people may not travel. And China contributed a big part in the aviation by global travel, which is not happening at the moment. So once we put together that supply side, uh, even if the numbers tell not uh, good, but the sentiment feels it will be there on the demand side, a bit of the bearish side, I would put that our expectation is that still the market may not be factoring some of the quality challenges with the refinery sector, right? Uh, refinery outages, whether events uh, you know, will happen, refineries with the OPEC cuts are not getting the right kind of crudes, which they used to get for optimization. So I believe the product markets will stay challenged. Uh, China has also released a full year crude quota. And I believe that some people thought that this will stabilize the market. My view is opposite. Now China can keep the world guessing. Instead of doing a batch-wise release, now China will keep the world guessing. And that brings my point around OPEC. Uh, OPEC will certainly factor into account that now China is no longer giving a quarterly indication of what they will buy. China certainly is increasing capacity this year, and, and, and they have in, given an indication that even the teapot refineries, which were eroding, they don't want them to erode as much as, because everybody believes that there is good life left in the refined products market management. So if I put okay. all this together, I believe that the OPEC policies will active management will continue. Uh, if there is any slump or demand bearishness on the refined products market, I think uh, there is an emerging signals of something like OPEC style management in refined products market, where now Russia can cut the diesel barrels. Uh, now Russia sees opportunity because of the Red Sea. So the diesel exports from Russia rebound. So active management of crude market is happening, will continue. Active management of refined products market will become a dominant factor in my view of 2024. And okay. with that, I believe the prices will stand close to mid or high 80s. Whence we approach the summer. And I think that's where Paul probably was indicating that it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. I think let's the time to matter would be the summer of 2024. And if yes. that really turns out well, then all what we are talking, which seemingly doesn't matter, will matter. So we have a higher price call compared to what we are seeing in the market. Okay, thanks, Mukesh, for that. Very, very thorough. Jamie, let's talk a bit about OPEC Plus uh, in that context and their ability to rely on Chinese demand uh, this year. Um, you know, and, and, and their likely policies, if you like, going forward. A lot of people are saying the cuts they put in place, the extra ones that came into place through to the first quarter, that's not enough. People are already saying at least till mid-year. What do you think is happening with OPEX thinking now, given what Chinese demand expectations are, uh, Asian demand in general, and the, the, the sort of variant um, refinery bucket, if you like, uh, that, that's happening in, in Asian markets? Sure, Diala. Um yeah, so with with OPEC, as you say, that OPEC plus those cuts are due um, that they're for Q1 this year. But it's worth noting that even under the um, even under the assumption that they might end at Q1, it's going to be a gradual taper. Um, so there won't be a cliff edge in April. They're going to phase out these cuts throughout Q2 as well. Um, but as you say, market expectation is very much that they will be extended in full beyond Q1, probably into Q2. I think 
when it comes to what their their key calculations, what their key priorities are from the conversations that I've had, is that they're looking to try and create a really significant um, inventory drawdown in Q1. So that's the key metric that they're going to be looking at. Um, what they're what you know they're looking ahead and seeing. Okay, we might still mm. see stock builds. Um, later on in 2024 but if we can draw enough out of inventories in q1 then over the over the course of the year as a whole it will all balance out so if those inventory drawdowns are not as significant as uh, as, as they are calculating on then that's going to be the key metric that will lead to a potential extension of the cuts in full um into q2 um china has clearly been the key source of demand growth for them in recent years um it was fairly strong last year as well, but I think they're increasingly looking to India as well. Um, that's kind of starting to take on a lot of the mantle of uh, global oil demand growth, um, Asian oil demand growth, as far as OPEC Plus is concerned. Longer term as well, I mean, we're seeing Saudi Arabia, you know, people talk about the, uh, you know, how how much of a concern is it for Saudi Arabia losing market share to Russia in China? Um, we're starting to see Aramco kind of grapple with that issue somewhat when they're starting to have success in picking up refining shares, uh, well, shares in refineries in China. Uh, so that's really going to be um, bu- uh, bolstering their market share within China for the longer term. So I don't see that perhaps these uh, market share concerns being a key priority mm-hmm. for Saudi Arabia over the long term. Okay, that's interesting. They are being raised, obviously, just because of the US production figures. And of course, there's other output as well coming from uh, the Americas. Paul, let's just talk about uh, the sense, I mean, from a commo- general commodities point of view, other commodities, not just oil, um, what they're telling us uh, about the sentiment for the global economy going forward this year. Um, you know, are people long, short on various economies, taking into account, of course, Europe as well and manufacturing and manufacturing in the US. The US economy uh, has not had a hard landing yet. Inflation's coming under control. Uh, it's all looking still pretty healthy. Do you expect we're going to see the tr- trickle effect of interest rate rises finally hit this year, or or what? Where's the sentiment there? Yeah, I, I, I think first I'd like to really strongly push back on this idea that uh, demand is weak. Um, oil demand um, growth, we, we think this year, 1.54 million barrels a day. That's above the medium term average. I haven't seen a forecast out there by people actually do the numbers of a weak uh, demand growth uh, this year. Uh, it's in the mind. It's um, you know, And I think there's the danger of us getting sucked into this, oh, demand is weak, the outlook is poor, you know, the US economy, recessions. Because I think we think back exactly one year. This is exactly the same discussion that was being had one year ago that the demand outlook is weak, everything is dreadful, the recession is coming. And of course, what happened is demand surprised very heavily to the upside um, last year. The only agency that got it right really was the OPEC secretariat. Um, their view was ridiculed at the start of the year. By the end of the year, everybody revised up to. And I think there's a danger that we're just going to make exactly the same mistake, this sort of morass of we're just looking for the cliff edge and demand pull up. See no evidence in the numbers, just see demand surprising to the upside. And same sort of uh, category. Again, US US supply, non-OPEX supply growth. People are talking as if it's going to accelerate this year. It's not. It's going to slow down really very fast. There will be growth, but there's not going to be um, anywhere near as much much, uh, non-OPEX growth as last year. So I I think I do just push back on the general concern that OPEC um, is in a in a dreadful ish, a problem that demand is weak, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's a very manageable market. And 
um, you know, market management will continue to push prices to a level which is um, more acceptable to both, uh, or at least it works in the balance for both producers and consumers. Uh, but I think open, overall positioning, you're exactly right. Uh, most um, um, investors are trading a macro view, which is still very downbeat. Uh, and that is one which at the moment involves uh, being fairly negative on, on the bulk commodities, uh, being particularly negative on, on crude oil, but surprisingly being in relative terms much more positive about oil products. So, and again, I think that's much in line with many of the things that Mukesh was saying there, that, you know, there is just that nuance that um, very easy to um, short uh, crude and copper on a negative worldview. But I, I think those who are perhaps a little bit more bottom up uh, are choosing to take their long exposures, um, uh, perhaps more on the product side. Okay, thanks, Paul. There's our uh, survey question for today. What will be top of mind for OPEC Plus at the start of this year as it decides on output levels, on cuts, no cuts, you know, rolling those back, extra, et cetera? Will it be China demand prospects, rising non-OPEC production, uh, and or central bank monetary policy? So what would be top of mind of that or the greatest concern, I suppose, factoring in to uh, its, its decision-making? Mukesh, just back to you on, on that product. I mean, you mentioned a few things there. Um, jet demand. I mean, we had quite a few people on, on the um, Global Outlook Forum last week uh, saying that the jet demand forecast for China for this summer, you know, or for the, sorry, for the uh, Chinese New Year, et cetera, actually is, is forecast to be stronger than pre-COVID levels, uh, uh, domestic sort of travel, I suppose. So the geopolitics probably doesn't even play a part in that in terms of, hesitancy to travel. So that looks pretty positive. Uh, and then secondly, on Russian, you mentioned diesel. Last year, we had that point in time where Russia was sort of threatening diesel surprise, supplies and it did impact the market. Do you think that, you know, this year we're going to have the same vulnerabilities to, to Russian flows or are things pretty settled into, into a pattern which pursuits both parties, essentially? Uh, no, I, I think uh, I, I'll build up on what uh, Paul was mentioning that uh, there is a bit of a demand. How we look at the numbers, right? The COVID and the crisis has damaged our normal base numbers year on year. So sometimes the year on year numbers look very, very high because the previous years was very bad. But I, I agree with Paul in some way that uh, 1.5 is not a bad demand when we look on a on a medium. But I think the key point to note is that now with the with the talks of the energy transition and those things, there are some sectors which are doing good. There are some sectors which are in trouble. Uh, clearly, jet demand, I would say, is in lag. And we, in our numbers uh, of 1.5 million barrels per day, 0.7 million barrels per day is a jet demand growth. So we do have an expectation that jet demand will grow. But uh, given the, the not the consumer appetite to travel, I guess it is the supply chain bottlenecks in the aviation sector to support the demand. That is a bit harder to judge and forecast. So that's what I would say that uh, maybe 1.5 may not turn out as it is and jet may not perform. The other sector uh, which and where China matters a lot is the petrochemical sector, right? So I speak to a lot of people in the refining world, in the petrochemical world, uh, and clearly they are, projects are getting canceled. China has built a lot of capacity. Middle East has canceled a number of projects, uh, I believe. Um, a big uh, Singapore shell refinery uh, is also now you know, in a different state. 
uh, of discussion. So I guess petrochemical demand also is, is not as high as good as expected. So there are demand weaknesses there. Uh, gasoline, we believe, was 600 kBD last year. This year, it will be likely only 300 kBD growth. So what, what probably is growing uh, in, in a sector way might be different. Uh, fuel oil, like shipping demand because of all the inefficient routing of the trade flows in the world, would likely provide some support to the demand. So if we keep, I think, demand side, yes, overall numbers may look okay. But when we compare on a, on a, on a growth basis, Petrochemical is not performing. Jet, we believe, will perform, but there are risks associated with it. So, if if you know from from that perspective, I believe that OPEC and China, the way they are managing the quotas now, Russia manages by quotas. They choose when to release more diesel, when to release less diesel. Uh, China will do the same, when to release more diesel and, and gasoline into the market. So that's where I see that whatever the demand will be there will be active management of not just the crude market, but the refined products market, right? And there is no OPEC plus kind of situation in the refined products market. And it's not easy to emulate uh, or copy paste that crude management in the products market. But I believe that this will continue to happen. Uh, and now Russia sees opportunity. They will bring barrels uh, into the Turkey and then it will go everywhere else. Uh, and Russian system has found ways around the insurance and the shipping. So the oil will continue to flow, whether it's a sanctioned oil or a non-sanctioned oil, and active management of product market will continue this year. And that only means prices will not go down despite whatever sentiment is around the table. Okay, thanks very much, Mukesh. Uh, there were some extra sort of stringent sanctions discussed at the end of last year, but not they don't seem to be filtering through yet. Let's talk a bit about, Jamie, just before we wrap up in a few minutes, gas. I mean, that is that is not managed by OPEC Plus or and does not have a similar type of organization. We've seen the gas market, you know, gas markets very, very mild, I suppose, along with the weather uh, over the winter, you know, nothing like a year ago when we had uh, you know, crisis in prices and, and supply and, and cost of living crisis, etc. Uh, and inflation, of course, was a whole other game. So, Jamie, the outlook in Europe uh, and Asia um, in terms of gas prices going forward uh, for the year ahead, do do consumers, uh, whether industrial or or or, uh, or home consumers, feel more relaxed about that as we go into the new year? Definitely feeling more relaxed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. From prices, definitely the consumers are feeling much more relaxed. You know, storage levels are still at, at high levels. Prices uh, have moderated considerably. Um, and in terms of supply, that seems to be quite secure at the moment. Obviously, again, everybody points to the US as that's where there's been a massive surge in LNG supplies um, over the last year. Um, some projects have been delayed. You know, there was hopes that... Um, in the US Golden Pass would be starting to produce by the end of this year. That looks like it's being pushed into 2025 now. So that's looking so that's probably not going to come in term for in time for next winter. Um but yeah, back to this one. It's this we have been blessed, I suppose, with another mild winter um in general. Um so that's managed to uh, keep the wolf at bay for Europe and for Asia from a gas price perspective. Um and people are looking at again, looking at the kind of Red Sea disruption. Qatar LNG, it's diverted a few cargoes that were meant to be heading that way. But again, 
for now, at least it seems that just rerouting should be more than sufficient to um, ensure that LNG volumes remain stable. Okay. I mean, Paul, on, on the LNG front, in terms of capacity, you know, we're expecting global capacity additions to come on online, perhaps not this year, but more like next year and the one after in terms of the big additions there. Um, but I'd like to get your perspective on, on also on gas and how that fits within the commodities uh, bucket. There's our um, survey result. No one has voted for China demand prospects, which is a little bit concerning. Uh, but there you go, 64% uh, rising on OPEC production, which many said was what really kind of threw a spanner in the works of OPEC's plans last year, although they still managed to, 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 to keep prices supported more or less uh, with the cuts. Paul, to go to you there then to, to close up for us on, on the outlook for, for gas markets. Yeah, well, I very much agree with, with Jamie. And I, I think suddenly um, you know, there has been a, a sudden um, cold spell through Europe. So the inventory draw over the past week you know, has been the uh, the largest um, uh, seven-day draw for, well, three years, effectively. But it, it's coming from off a very high base. And as we said, now getting to the point where you, know, you can see the end of the winter. So the market is still relatively relaxed and um, uh, staying most of the time close to this kind of 30 euros per megawatt hour level. U US things are rather different. I mean, the, um, uh, the cold snap at the moment um, does appear to be causing um, uh, uh, another Permian freeze-off. We've had those three years running. Um, no, no idea yet of quite how big the freeze-off is going to be this time round. Uh, but combined, so lower oil and uh, production out to North Dakota and the Permian, lower gas production out of the Permian potentially. And that's why you've seen this very um, sharp rally in Henry Hub prices over the course of this year so far. By far the strongest uh, commodity of all in terms of uh, year-to-date performance. And so still acting very, very independently. But I think for the moment, the market is hyper bullish on, on US gas, at least short term, uh, but still very bearish about both short term and medium term uh, prospects on, on uh, TTF and uh, other European indicators. OK, Paul, I just want to get just from the three of you, just your outlook for I know you've mentioned it a few times, uh, the US oil production. You know, we had a lot of people talking about it last week uh, at the forum. And we did, but we did have one or two voices saying, no, we actually think this is going to plateau here now and actually begin to decline because of the way the drilling works and shale. Others more were saying, no, this time next year, we could see another blip, not the same blip we saw in 2023. But very quickly, Makesh, will we see US production plateau where it is today or drop or, or go up without getting into too much detail? US production will grow. That's the number. It will grow probably more than half a million barrels per day, uh, for sure. I think uh, that would be my view. Uh, the efficient, and the reason is, despite the rate count year. and all those this year. Refined, the productivity increase, and there are so much going on in the US shale, so it will grow. It may not grow to the same extent as it did last year. Okay, Jamie? Um, yeah, I, I agree with Milkesh in terms of pretty strong growth from, from the US. I think basically it never never serves to underestimate the um impact of efficiency gains technology growth etc in the in the us um shale sector at the moment um i think that's going to continue unlocking new reserves for quite some time okay and paul will give you that last word just yes or no up or plateau oh i, I do better than yes in, in brief about a million barrels a day less growth than last year 
in total or, or liquid. So a huge deceleration. Drilling is down 20% year on year. There is no productivity gain that gives you 20% in a year in, uh, in, in the oil patch. So, um, you know, a sharp deceleration in the market is not priced that in yet. It will do. And that's back onto Mukesh's point that mid-year is perhaps when all of these things become clearer to the market. Okay, well, thanks very much, gentlemen, for joining us today. We've run out of time, but thanks so much for joining us and have a good one.